0: This morning in our study in the book of Joshua, and it has been titled Conquering Canaan. And as you know in the scriptures, the land of Canaan was the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. And it was in that land that God was going to bless the Jew. And we read in this book, Joshua, the historical record of what God did to bring them into that land and what they had to do as well in order to possess it. And so we have been looking at this now for some time, uh, several weeks, and we are coming down this morning to chapter 7. And chapter 7 is a chapter that is really a painful chapter, but it ends with a chapter, it also ends with a note of hope, and we'll talk about that this morning. And so the title this morning is A Valley of Pain and Hope from Joshua chapter 7. Let's open and we'll read the first nine verses here. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so that the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, or from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gates as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Lord, we are... Just thankful that we have the Word of God this morning and we can open it. We can look into this book, the Bible. And now I ask God, as we open up your Word this morning, you would open up its truths to us. That, Lord, you would give us the hope in the midst of pain, even. Help us to deal with the things that need to be dealt with in our lives. Those things that, Lord, you're aware of. Maybe others aren't yet, but God, you are. And so put your hand upon us today, and Lord, may your spirit be pleased to move in our hearts and lives, in our families, in our community, in our world. May the word go forth boldly today from the pulpits of this country and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this chapter of chapter 7, and it begins on a solemn note. It begins actually telling us that there was sin in the camp of Israel. Now up to this point Joshua didn't know that neither did the elders of Israel. They were not aware of this and you can remember last week we covered the battle of Jericho and we looked at that where the walls came down and as you discovered in that um, battle of Jericho it was not a battle that Joshua had to fight it was rather something that God did all Joshua had to do and the children of Israel is obey God and follow him and when basically when he, they went by his plan and his instructions and remember the last day the trumpet sounded the people shouted and the walls came down then they went up into the city and they took the city and they burned it with fire and it seems very harsh but again this is a picture of an earthly conflict that has a greater meaning of a spiritual conflict and i will say this that god has to judge sin he always has to judge sin he doesn't often judge it right away but no one ever gets away with their sin. And the people of Jericho had had hundreds of years to repent of their sin, and they chose not to. They were committing great idolatry, which included, even uh, through what we know of the archaeological record today, things involving child sacrifice and other things like that that are not mentionable, along with lots of sexual immorality that was going on. And that was against God, against God's plan, against God's rules. And they violated God's law. And God was going to raise up, that this case, the children of Israel to go in and to be an instrument of justice and an instrument of judgment. And yet in all of that, we know grace was there and mercy was there, right? We read of the story of Rahab, who was in that condemned city, part of that condemned people. And she and her immediate family came out because they believed God. And I would say it right up front that, if the people of AI had turned from their sin and believed God, there would not have been a judgment on Jericho, because God is a gracious God, and he would have turned from judging them had they repented in faith because he 's quick to forgive, and that 's the kind of God that we serve. but you come to chapter seven and in six chapter six, they were told that they were not to take anything from the city they were not to uh, there was no nobody that was going to be spared, and their Um, basically they were not to take anything that could defile them, um, things like cloth or animals, livestock, that kind of stuff. They were not allowed to take that. And yet in the process of it, and we know because chapter 7 opens up, there was a man named Achan, and Achan partook of something that he should not have. Uh, But up to that point it was secret. Nobody else knew except Achan and the Lord. But it was going to result in a terrible defeat and a terrible, painful time for the children of Israel. Now, if you want a little geography lesson, I have this tiny map, and you can see in the corner there sort of the blown up area of what would be Israel today and Jordan to the east, and you have the the Dead Sea, which is the like fourteen hundred feet below sea level. It is where the Jordan River flows down from the mountains of Lebanon all the way down into the Jordan. And in the space of about 90 miles, it descends thousands of feet. And as I mentioned earlier, the the name Jordan means descender. And it was there in the Jordan, remember, that Israel came across uh, just to the east of where you see that red pin. That's Jericho. And they would have come across there at the place of the crossing and there's this long plain of about five miles if you were standing on the hill where Jericho was looking out you could have looked out and seen the Jordan River at least the valley of it right there the, just uh, because it was all a big floodplain, essentially. And even today, it's like that. Now, it's the pictures I've seen, I've never been there in person, but it's a very dry place. Exception of where the Jordan is and just around its banks. Most of it, unless they, they use uh, irrigation, it's pretty dry and barren. Um, definitely sparse in that area. And you remember, the children of Israel came across and we found, remember, the, the people of Jericho, their hearts melted within them because they saw what God had done. And they had all this time as this took place. And when the children of Israel came up against Jericho, there was this mighty victory. And it's interesting, God wanted all the people involved in that. They just had to follow and do what God wanted them to do, but he wanted everybody involved. And I think the principle behind that is this, he doesn't want just spectators who are his. He wants us, every one of us involved. And as we sang in that song, um, you know, the the idea there of, are you willing to go where he goes and follow where he wants us to go? And that is really the command that goes out to all believers. Well, they went up against Jericho, big city. Uh, some commentaries I read said Jericho had over maybe forty to 60,000 people in it. Um, that's a big city. That's bigger than the population of Bangor, all crowded into a nine acre or so uh walled city you know all shut up you can imagine what that would be like and um, they were all in, to be involved in that but then there was the next little city the city of the Amorites called Ai and that's what chapter Seven's about and that was just on a little hill lot not too far from Jericho and they were to go and defeat that city God told them to do it and it was just a small city. Uh, about 10,000 people resided there. And Joshua says, well, you know, as he sent out his spies to go look at it, they came back and they said, don't, don't send everybody. Don't weary all our warring men. Just send two or 3,000. Well, it would be a great mistake. Because they would go and they would, instead of defeating the city, they themselves would experience a defeat. It is the very first time Israel is defeated After they crossed the Jordan and they would run away and 36 men would die an absolute tragedy and that night after the dust had settled and everybody had come back into the camp uh, there were weeping families in the camp of Israel because these men had died and Israel had been defeated and you have a leader who's no longer standing at the forefront of a battle you know directing things but rather he's on his face before the Lord and someone has said this that it's probably would have been better had Joshua started the campaign of AI on his face seeking direction from the Lord than after a defeat having to go to the Lord and then seek direction and I will just say that too often in my own life, I have come up against times like that where I've gone ahead and done something and then realized, uh-oh, this is a bad thing, and had to go back and say, Lord, I now repent and seek you. I should have asked you before I began. Sometimes it's something minor. It doesn't have a lot of consequences. But sometimes it could be something really big. And if we make those mistakes, the, it, literally the lives of others could be at stake. The eternity of others could be at stake. Because they aren't going to turn and follow the Lord if they see their own, the the God's own people, not following him. And I will just say that in this chapter 7, which is there for a reason, God puts his word for our instruction. The Bible says of itself, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness. And it is given that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped. This book that we have right here equips us for life, for ministry, for godliness. And we need to be in it and follow it as best we can. And we're not alone in that. The Spirit of God leads us in that. Well, in the New Testament of the church, it says of this, if. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And what he's saying there is that if you're part of the body of Christ, you've believed on the Lord Jesus, he's brought you into his family, that when you suffer, others also suffer when you're walking with god guess what it helps others walk with god it does those things or they're honored and it's the idea that though we be individuals and that is a very much an american way to think or a western way of think of individuals right in the church really we're not islands of ourselves we are made up of one body and the actions i do have consequences on those around me even if people don't know what those actions are. For Achan, he had committed a sin, and we'll come to that in a little bit and look at it, and the consequences of it led to the deaths of 36 men and the defeat of his nation. And yet, only God and Achan knew about the sin up to that point. Well, we're going to look at it here, and if you want an outline, the the first one is a painful defeat. There are those times in life where we experience defeat. And it's sometimes because of something we did, but other times it's from something maybe others did. And you find yourselves in that terrible predicament. Defeat. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 7, verse 2, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country, So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. What you have here is part of this pain was an overconfidence in the flesh. And you know, the flesh has a way of doing that. Especially as you're young I know there was a time I was young and there were times I thought I was bulletproof and now in my 50s I realize no I'm not and there's things like yesterday a couple of us here went, went up on Rocky Mountain out northwestern uh, northwest of Allagash and did about a three-hour snow hike and snowshoe hike and um, I feel it this morning and I had more confidence yesterday climbing Rocky Mountain than I do today if you were to ask me let's go do that again this afternoon I'd say no because i know my limits for now Um, a few days maybe i'd do it but i'll i'll say this that it's easy to have confidence in the flesh in this case israel said hey we don't need to go and send everybody why weary the whole group we're we're something let's get two or three thousand that's enough let's go take the city well you know the bible warns time and time again of that attitude pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall I honestly think in our day and age that is one of the greatest sins that is plaguing not only individuals of America, but America. And I don't like to, I'm not speaking, of, I don't want to speak against my country in that way. But I see so many that stand up, in, including in our leaders, and they are so proud. And I say, God, be careful with our country. Oh, because we're, we're setting ourselves up for destruction if we believe that we are strong in the flesh. America became a great nation because in its founding, it relied on the understanding that God is big and we aren't. Amen. It would be good to get back to that. Israel was overconfident and it brought a great painful defeat. They were a conquered people. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai, And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. You know, it's interesting because this defeat that took place we, we find in in the opening part of this chapter, nowhere does it say that Joshua or anybody went before the Lord and sought direction on how to fight the battle of Ai. Uh, I think, again, they were overconfident in the great defeat that took place at Jericho, a bigger city, and they were relying on those things. And it's interesting because they came down off the mountain of defeated people, and... They would not. They would have been up on the mountain as a victorious people on the hill of Ai had they followed the Lord. Sometimes it's like that. We have overconfidence in the flesh. They didn't take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. That was how they did it at at Jericho. Remember the Ark of the Covenant and also at the Jordan. The Jordan actually was the Ark of the Covenant held up by the priests that were to... was leading... And it was where God was going to meet with his people and do a great miracle. Because God was lifted up and they weren't. There were lots of things like that. In the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 17, we read of the great account of David and Goliath, right? If anybody knows Bible stories, usually David and Goliath is up there, you know, with one of those stories. And it's in that Chapter where you see young David who is just a shepherd boy he goes up against the greatest warrior of his time against his enemy the Philistines and he goes up against Goliath this giant of a man whose sword David would have had a hard time even lifting he did lift it but it would have been a hard thing to lift and David goes down into that valley and with the strength of God defeats Goliath But there's a profound verse in that. Because when he was discouraged from going down, David said, is there not a cause? And he decided he would go down. Even though all the men of Israel had chosen not to go down and fight the giant, David decided he would. And this is some of his reason. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. That's what he told Goliath. Goliath comes down in all his armor. First of all, his height. He stood just under 10 feet tall. That's a big man. And he was a monster of a man, you know. And he had armor. He had a sword. He had all of that. And he comes down. And David just goes down with the things that a shepherd would have, which was a sling, and some stones that he had picked up. Five smooth stones. And he goes down and one stone is all it took. And he laid that stone right into the forehead of Goliath. And the man fell. Then David picks up that, the god, the giant sword, and cuts his head off. Sounds pretty graphic. But the reason was the Lord delivered Goliath and the Philistines into the hands of the Israelites that day. We would do well, spiritually speaking to understand that the giants that plague us in our faith right our own flesh the world system that's always tempting us and bringing us in all that that we would say lord i am going into this world i can't get out of this world you know you're part of it believe it or not but i'm not going to dwell in this world and partake of those evil things because the victory is yours Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we live in a world where we need constant strength. And that ought to be our, uh, our, our, the words of our lips every day. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, you see, Israel was, they experienced these, this painful defeat. But another thing that happened is that it literally says their hearts melted within them therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water now that's the same phrase that is used of the people of jericho just prior to all this when they saw israel pass over on dry land and they gathered on the now the jericho side of the jordan river and it says their hearts melted why because they knew judgment was on their doorstep here israel's heart melted god didn't want them though remaining in that state of confusion and defeat well we go on because up to this point in the chapter we don't know really a whole lot of details that have gone on but there's sin in the camp joshua was unaware of it The people of israel were unaware of it with the exception of one man and his god there was a painful discovery Joshua chapter 7 verse 6 says then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said alas Lord God why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Oh that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh Lord what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies for the canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it surround us and cut off our name from the earth then what will you do for your great name now joshua kind of goes and seems like he puts a lot on the lord doesn't he lord our defeat is your name and, and your name is you know important and you know i would just say up front that that's a good thing that god he went to god with that you can go to god with your complaints And God's a big God. He'll handle your complaints. And often when we go to God with our complaints, we get right. And we understand that the complaint that I have is probably related to me. God is good all the time. He's always, always good. He was good in the midst of this incident that had taken place as well. And Joshua goes before the Lord and he just falls there. Rips his clothes, a sign of just torment of soul. And he falls before the earth, on the earth before the Lord. And he just cries out all the way to evening. And I would just say, if Joshua had done that before, I think God would have shown him before he went into battle, before his men, what he wanted. He wanted Israel to get right. You know, the Bible in Psalm sixty-six eighteen says, "If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear." You know, when there's um, when when there's Sin in our lives that is a sin that we're certainly aware of, I think. And when we live and dwell in that sin, others may not be aware of it. There's no obligation of God to listen to our prayers. Because sin hinders that fellowship that we have with God. And God wants us to be right with Him. And He gives us so many opportunities over and over again to walk and be right with Him. And He gives us space to repent. And often... I think that's why prayer is so important. Because when you go to God in prayer, it, first of all, communicates even just to ourselves that there's someone bigger than us. And you going to prayer and you're saying, Lord, God, you're high and lifted up. And as we do that, and we, as we... I've got music going somewhere. Oh, that's good. It's almost my theme music. I don't know. I was thinking, is it time to get done? Is that a hint? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's good. I, I, I thought it was mine at first. But anyways, uh, God wants us to deal with our sin. And honestly, I think we go with uh, unanswered prayer often because sin has just closed us off from that aspect of the fellowship of God. Come before the Lord and just, at, I'm telling you, as the the Lord's model prayer, Right? as we pray our father who art in heaven what are we doing we're elevating him we're putting him in his right place which is above everything right and part of that prayer is deliver us from evil right that's part of that help us not to be part of that evil or partaking of evil but if we trespass against him let us forgive those who also trespass against us right And you go right down through that prayer. It's a model prayer. I don't think you have to pray it by rote. Uh, Nothing wrong with praying it. It's scripture. But I would say that he wants us to come before him and acknowledge him for our daily needs and the fact that we need forgiveness and we need to forgive others and all those things that go with that. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up why do you lie thus on your face (laughs) wow you know sometimes we'd rather lay in the dirt and just lie in a defeated state that's where joshua is he's like oh that we've just been content to stay over in the wilderness on the other side of jordan the place where god was not going to ever bless us really fully i mean he sustained them and blessed them but it wasn't where he wanted them to dwell He had so much more for them. And Joshua says, oh, that I was just content, and all of us were content to live in that land. Those that lived in that land eventually died in that land. Now he's moved into this area. And God says to him, get up. Get up. And my friends, if you're living in a defeated place in your life as a Christian, If you're living or your sin has overcome you, or if you're an unbeliever and your sin is before you, listen, the same thing. Get up and look to him. Repent. Turn to him. Why do you lie thus on your face? Then God lets him in on the reason why there was a defeat. Israel has sinned. Now, I will take note of this. It was only one man who sinned. But God says Israel has sinned. See, his, that one man's sin, Achan's sin, was going to actually cause the whole nation to sin. And they, plural, have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it in among their own stuff. god was going to let joshua in on a, on a little um, reminder of good theology that god is omniscient and god is omnipresent in other words he's all-knowing and all present everywhere he's all powerful omnipotent that's the other word he's god and god does see everything there's not one thing he doesn't Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. He sees us. He is truly the only one who sees you when you're good and when you're bad. Sin affects us. And I will say that God knows about your sins. That's the first thing. God hates our sin. Now it has often been said God hates sin but he loves the sinner and and there is truth to that in that he will love sinners and he loved us so much that he came to the cross and was beaten and judged and tormented for us his by his stripes we are healed his our iniquities were laid on him and he loves the sinner so much that's John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word love is an unconditional love. And he loves the sinner. If you are in your sin today, he loves you. But he hates the sin. He hates the sin so much that he had to go and be judged in our place. That's what the cross is all about. Both the hatred and justice of God for sin and the love of God meeting in one place on one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God hates sin. Proverbs 6 says this. These are the deadly sins, right? These six things the Lord hates, yea, or yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Listen, if we had people read that, I've often wondered, you know, um, I'll tell you, I was asked to open in prayer at the uh, main House of Representatives some years ago. And I went down there and I said, Lord, what am I going to pray? And I honestly almost thought about praying that and reading, you know, what God hates. Because some of the stuff that goes on sometimes in our among our elected officials comprises some of this stuff that goes on. False witness and passing bills that are just promoting evil and sowing discord as best they, do, they can on every side and all that. But, and brings it closer to home saying, well, how's my heart? How's my life? Am I standing up in pride or in humility? All those different things. Be reminded God hates sin. And that hatred for sin costs the Son of God His very life's blood. For you and for me. Sin hinders God's work. And if you read, it affects us as well. In the morning, it says, Therefore you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall uh, come according to the families. And the family which the Lord shall come by households. And the households which the Lord takes shall come by, by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. And God gives a space of a night for Achan to repent. And we don't see him repent. I don't know how that night was for Achan, but it was probably a pretty restless night. He was going to try to go to bed that night and his sin was there among him, in him, in his tent. And my friends, I just say this, sin will affect us. The book of Galatians says this, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart and it says therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith you know we're encouraged to do good and to sow spiritual things of god not the fleshly things of us A lot more could be said about that. Sin hinders the work of God. When Jesus went to his home country in Nazareth, in that area, um, he comes back after his public ministry had begun. And it's, it's a very sad commentary from Matthew chapter 13. He goes there and there are very few miracles that take place in his own country. And the reason was they didn't believe. Matthew thirteen fifty eight. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Sin, and the sin of unbelief being the greatest of sins, that sin hinders the work of God. And I can just say that sometimes it's a matter of, of just realizing, you know, that God is the one who's going to do a mighty work. And when people begin to get right with God, he does a mighty work. We're reading a book on our Wednesday night study called the world of the end by david jeremiah it's a series of messages that were put into print form but in this last week that we studied there were lots of illustrations about people who live for the lord and it talks about a time years ago when billy graham had hosted in the netherlands he had hosted a training time where basically they were uh, having all kinds of men come in from outside you know other countries all these little countries and stuff and training them with you know tools of evangelism and whatnot, and sending them back into these little countries. And one man um, came there, spent a few weeks uh, with the Billy Graham Ministry, and they they went through things. And then he went back to his home country, and he began to try to spread the gospel. And the first town that he went to, as he went there, they took him for basically preaching the message and they beat him and left him for dead well he came to and gathered a little strength after a few days and he went right back and he preached the gospel again to them again and that's he told them that jesus came to die for them to die for their sins and to turn from their sins and to believe on the lord jesus and that was his message and they beat him again this time he gathered his strength again and he went back a third time. This time, though, as the people were beating him, flogging him, and whipping him, there was a woman there who began to cry. She realized what they were doing to him. Pretty soon, one after another, people began to repent and a church started. That actually, I think in that book it talks about it that that whole town became Christian. But sin will hinder the work of God. And sometimes there, what looks like a defeat is going to be a great victory. <laughs> and God was going to do a great victory here in this matter as well. But don't let your heart be like the people of Jesus' area of Nazareth where it says now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He'll never do a work in your heart if you don't believe. And he'll not use you really to where you could be used if you are going to just live in that state of unbelief first corinthians chapter 11 verse 31 for if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged and i would say this that i think Achan that night he had space to repent he could have dealt with that he could have gone before the lord in an evening sacrifice and he could have repented and said i've sinned against god and god would have forgiven him But there's no indication that he did that. And instead, the morning would come and it would bring about another painful experience. We read of it in verse 16. It says So Joshua rose early in the morning and he brought Israel by their tribes or their families. So here's the tribe of Reuben, here's Gad, here's Levi, here's Judah, and so on, all the way through that. And it says, And the tribe of Judah was taken. Judah, there's someone in your family that has sinned. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. You can imagine the, the idea of what was going on here. You know It's like Judah is pointed out, and everybody else goes, "Wow, I'm glad it's not our camp, or our part of the camp." But then it goes family by family. And then right down to a man named Zabdi. And then he brought his household man by man. And Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. I often wonder what those men around Achan would have thought. Especially when I think of uh, Zabdi as he watches his grandson be selected out. My friends, I don't care how old you are, if you're a believer in Christ, you never want to see your children or your grandchildren or others not following the Lord. And the grief that that man would have felt and his family would have felt to see Achan selected. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. You see, even in the confession of sin, God was going to get the glory. And my friends, that is the case. If there's sin in your heart, sin in your life, sin that you've done something, go before God. He'll get the glory in forgiving you of that sin. And if you can make it right, if it involves someone else who's a victim of that sin, you need to make it right with them, if possible. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Sin, first of all, the sinner is discovered. And then secondly, the sin is discovered. And again, we just see what God is doing here. In this whole process. We, we see that there was um, compassion. Even in judgment. Joshua speaks to him as his son. My son. See Joshua was taking command as well as a leader. And he was understanding that this is part of his family also. Joshua really is a picture of the Lord who hates sin. But yet he still loves the man. And yet, sin had to be dealt with. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen, "He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." And again, I just to emphasize again, I think there was time for Achan to have mercy extended to him over and over and over again. But when he's finally selected, the mercy had run out. No more and that's how some, sadly some people will come before the Lord someday they will go through this life one heartbeat after another after another after another and committing sin and the sin not only original sin but the sin that we commit even the things we don't even realize are sin and we'll stand before the Lord and they will have had all this time to repent and didn't what a tragedy that would be because by then it's too late then he says I never knew you depart from me you workers of iniquity. That's what the Bible says will be for those on that. That's why it's good to know him now, turn to him now, and have your sins taken care of. Removed. Covered by the blood of Christ. Doesn't mean that we're sinless in our actions. I mean, we should be walking a different walk now. But the penalty of our sin has been taken by someone else at the cross. What a great, beautiful transaction of salvation goes from the judgment of god and abiding in judgment to the salvation of god and christ is the one who paid the way in doing that so joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it and they took them from the midst of the tent brought them to joshua and to all the children of israel and laid them out before the lord Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And so all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And then they raised over him a great heap of stones. Still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. The word Achor means trouble. Probably a sort of a take on the name of Achan as well. And very sad, sad part of the, the Bible in this section. Because not only is Achan affected, but even those of his own direct household. His children, his animals... You say, well, God, why would God do that? Because the sin had permeated his family. And there's a picture, a greater picture here. The way you live affects others, whether they know it or not. The way we live before the Lord will affect those around us, including our children and others. We have to be careful about that. And by the way, there's always time to get right. (laughs) People need to see that, no matter what stage of life. Valley of Acorn we were talking about memorial stones a few weeks ago remember when Joshua came over led the people over on dry ground they took stones out of the Jordan and there they put a heap of stones in the Jordan then later when they landed chapter 4 they put a heap of stones there as a remembrance of what God had done at the Jordan Joshua 4.24 says that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. There was a twofold message in that heap of stones, that the people of the earth would know God's big, and that they themselves would know that God is big, or to fear the Lord. Then, go a little further, the Valley of Achor, just northwest of Jericho. There's this valley, and if you go up there, somewhere in that valley, there's these stones And those stones um, were there as a remembrance of what happened to Achan when his sin had to be dealt with in such a harsh way. It's not the end though. The valley of Achor is mentioned a couple times in scripture. You see, because of what God has done in that he has now come and he has offered us salvation and forgiveness of our sins, all the earth can rejoice. And someday, yet future, the nation of Israel will turn to him in his fullness and their fullness. He has a plan for Israel still. Book of Isaiah, chapter 65. This talks about a time when the Lord will reign on the earth. And this is what he says to them. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way that is not good according to their own thoughts. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. By the way, in the house of Judah, the same house where Achan was, was in, that family, there would be one who would come out of Judah. His name is Jesus. And he is in that line of Judah. God raised up a savior why? Cuz Matthew 121 says and she shall bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And thank you Lord for sure. He came to save his people everybody. And look, my elect shall inherit it, my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me so though valley of achor was known as a place of trouble it will also someday be a place of blessing the book of hosea also talks about that i will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of achor as a door of hope she shall sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of egypt that's prophetic In the book of Hosea about Israel. Someday singing in that valley of trouble. My friends. Have you come out of the valley of trouble? Have you been saved from your sin? Today is the day you can turn to him. And I'll tell you. He makes all the difference. But if you do not turn from him. Do just be forewarned. Someday will be the last moment. And it won't be time to repent then. And judgment will fall. That's God's message let's pray we are thankful for your word this morning lord we're thankful though in the valley of acor you can have a door of hope and we are reminded how you are the door and if we'll enter in by you O oh lord you will give us salvation lord what a wonderful truth it is that we'll go in and find in and out and find pasture Someday in that very physical place of the Valley of Achor, place today that is dry and barren, a place will, that place will be a place where herds of animals will lie down and they will feed and they will picture for us the sustaining God who is merciful. And we will sing, O oh God. The people of the earth will sing. And Lord, help our voices even now just be a part of that as we sing of our great salvation and our great Savior. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.